welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Leah to the podcast today. Dr. Leah is a pelvic floor and potty training specialist. She works with both children and adults. Something that I did not know as a speech therapist is that children also have pelvic floor difficulties. What does this really mean? What is a pelvic floor specialist? And I'm excited for you all to listen and really learn the different populations that Dr. Leah works with. She works with children, she works with adults. You know, there's so much more that just goes into potty training. Yes, some children might have anxiety peeing or going number two in a public setting, but one thing that you're going to learn is whether it's pregnant women or children, there's so many other ways that pelvic health in general can help them. And she talks about how do you know your child is ready? So we have a lot of classes and private speech therapy sessions where children are 12 months old, two years old, three years old. Children are going to programs, they're starting school, and oftentimes people ask us, How do I know if my child is ready? I'm sending them to school. Do they need to go to the bathroom? Can they go in their pull-ups, their diapers? The teachers are complaining that my child is having issues and having accidents at school. She's gonna walk us through so many different factors that might impact potty training. For example, emotional factors, the fear of going to the bathroom, and really just knowing when your child is ready. They might give you signs, they might not. This is Mm. your child's process, not yours. It's not because I have a weekend off that I am body training my child this weekend. Yeah. No. Spring break. That's why you go through the pre-training phase first yeah. and um, you help them. And when they start feeling, okay, I'm wet. I know the difference between wet versus being dry. Right. I am interested in using the restroom. Oh, this is how mommy used it. Mm-hmm. Modeling, going through all of this process. Yeah. Then you know your child is ready. Yeah. Today's Tata's tip of the week is a little bit different. And I really wanted to talk to you all about speaking with your child from zero to three months. We always talk about really general tips here. We talk about eye contact and getting down on the floor, which is all extremely important. And we're going to talk about that today. But zero to three is really such an important time. And at this age, your child's really going to start paying attention. Their eyes are changing so they can glance at you and start to really recognize who you are. They're going to start recognizing sound. So we want to take advantage of this moment. They're listening to you. They might even turn their head when you say their name. Someone says, Andy, I look to the left. I look to the right. I respond to my name. And at three months, your child is doing that as well. They're also starting to coo, which is very different from babbling, but they're making noises and they're actually exploring their hands, their feet. They're looking at things. So when you're speaking with your child, it doesn't matter if it's one month, two months, three months. Get face-to-face with them. Make eye contact. This is the time that they are starting to use their eyes. Smile. Be animated. And a lot of times you hear about something called like motherese, which is really just this baby talk. And speaking with your child in a high-pitched voice, it works. Use it. But especially at this age, be animated. And if that's something that's not natural to you, that's okay. But smile at your child. Look at them. Really use a high-pitched voice, maybe when you're singing or if you are changing their diaper. Imitate the sound they say. They might go, ah, 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 and make silly little noises, and you can add that into a word. Apple. Yes, they might not know. They probably won't know what an apple is, but make whatever sound or approximations they're making and apply them to a word. At this age, your child is smiling, making noises, crying if they're hungry or tired. They're actually starting to communicate with you. So when they cry, I know you're hungry. Let's feed you. Let's drink from the 
bottle. It doesn't hurt to just start communicating in this back and forth conversation with your child, whether they're two weeks old or three months old. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Leah Fagali to the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to let you kind of give your background, but you are pelvic floor specialist, potty training specialist. You work with adults, children. Yes. Um, I am currently learning that you do a lot more than I even realize you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I have a doctorate in physical therapy, and I specialize in pelvic floor uh, health for pediatric population and the adult population. So I work with children. And adults, because mm-hmm. everybody has a pelvis. But yep. the problem is nobody thinks about it until it's broken. <laughs> so that's why most most people think that's only for pregnant women or postpartum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, no, anybody. I mean, research actually, um, like in the literature, it says that one in four people will have some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction at some point in their life. Wow. Because, you know, they're the floor of our body and um, they hold us and they allow us to pass a bowel movement, um, pee, have sexual intercourse, which are things that we do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So what is a pelvic floor specialist? Yeah. So a pelvic floor specialist is basically a specialist in anything related to pee, poo, and sexual intercourse. Let's put it that way. Got it. My husband would call it, you're a people plumber. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. You are the people plumber of Miami. We're going to go with that. (laughs) Amazing. <laughs> Which actually, you know what? I don't mind. Go with it. <laughs> I mean, Why not? That's what it is. And but the problem is that people are so ashamed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I realized that many people go like, "Oh, it's normal. You just had a baby. It's okay to pee on yourself." Or, "Oh, they will outgrow bedwetting children." Like they normalize. Mm-hmm. Right. I sneezed and I peed. Yes, a little bit. they yeah. normalize these things when actually it shouldn't be normalized. It's. I mean, it's common, but it's mm-hmm. not normal. So a pelvic floor therapist would actually. We need to figure out what is the root cause of it, the why. Mm -hmm. And every patient is different, of course. We help patients that have constipation, that have urinary incontinence, painful sexual intercourse. They cannot yet achieve orgasm. With children, I see a lot of kids that have bedwetting issues. And between six and even like two weeks ago, I had a 17-year-old patient with bedwetting. I even had a 21-year-old male with bedwetting issues too. Wow. So like, you're working with everyone. Yes. Yeah. And all of that, to be honest, is traced back to potty training. Mm. Because this is when we teach kids long-term mm-hmm. good toilet habits. The, just like we teach them how to actually eat healthy or how to speak or how, right? Yeah. So that's <laughs> one of the things that we need to teach them correctly in order to prevent bedwetting issues, even poop accidents, incopresis. I see a lot of that. A child just passes a bowel movement without them noticing and daytime accidents, of course. So uh, so yeah, anything that is related to the muscles that actually hold our bladder, that hold the uterus and the baby basically in women and our rectum where our bowel movement goes, those muscles are very important. Got it. And wow. that's what we treat. Okay. So it's a lot more than I think anyone realizes. It's a whole world. <laughs> yep. So obviously our Tata community, it's moms, it's pregnant women, women who have had children, children in general we work with. 
So maybe we can divide it up. Let's start with pregnant women, whether that's to prepare them for labor or just um, the whole delivery process. What do you do with these pregnant women? Yeah. And now that I'm pregnant, I emphasize a lot with my patients. Yeah, you can relate. (laughs) Yeah, I do. So basically, many pregnant women in general, the pelvic floor muscle is made to hold the baby. The pelvis is made to accommodate the baby as well. And you know, with the relaxing hormone and through pregnancy, it's going to just change shape and just, you know, accommodate the baby and just move a little bit. Mm -hmm. So what happens is some women will have pubic symphysis pain. So pain in here, pain, low back pain, abdominal separation, diastasis recti. And honestly, like our bodies are are amazing. Like imagine we don't have the abdominal muscle that can stretch out to accommodate the baby. Where would the baby go? You know, like it's made for that. Many women need to prepare for labor especially week 34, we start preparing uh, because the pelvic floor muscles, actually, they need to get out of the way in order to let the baby out. Mm. And the pelvis, we need to move, like allow the pelvis to move in order to baby to engage during labor and get out easily and rotate easily to get out. Mm -hmm. So there are some labor positions that we need to work on, some exercises we need to do to, you know, for the hip exercises and um, the pelvis itself in order to allow the baby to move through labor. And all of that needs some preparation. And even mentally, you need to prepare, like for the contractions, Mm -hmm. for what is going to come, how to move through labor. So there are so many things to work on that, especially as well. So many of my patients that I notice postpartum, I mean, if they really prepared, they wouldn't have been as traumatized as they are because they were not informed. And, um, you know, episiotomies or any scar that could happen, whether it's C-section the C-section scar or the scar in the vaginal area will affect postpartum with painful intercourse and, you know, all of the issues that can come with it. All of these could be prevented or at least prevent, like, the risk of having it, like, mm-hmm. diminish it if you prepare well. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I always say for my postpartum patients that you can plan for birth, you can prepare for it, but you cannot control it. Yep. So it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but Absolutely. it's good to be informed and prepared and really well connected to your pelvis and your body and your mind. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Wow. So I actually work with adults as well. And one of the things that I like to do with my adults is breathing exercises, whether they have vagal nerve issues or voice issues. And it really starts at least from a speech therapy point of view with breathing. Is that something that you work on with your Definitely. The diaphragm and the pelvic floor, they work together. Mm -hmm. So that's what the core muscles are. You have the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, the deep transverse abdominis, the abdominal muscle, and the back muscle, the multifidi. And they're like a canister. Mm -hmm. They work together. Right. and especially, you know, postpartum, I'm sure you see so many patients like singers, yep. for example, their voice would change. Yes. Why? Because the canister changed. They don't have good pelvic floor muscle coordination. They don't have good abdominal connection. They don't have good pressure management, intra-abdominal pressure management. Yep. And they breathe from their throat, their yes. neck, and their face. Definitely. And even when they're speaking, you see all this tension in their laryngeal muscles, but you don't realize, and I try to explain to them, diaphragm, pelvic, you yes. know, go lower. The diaphragm goes up to yep. accommodate the baby. Yep. So now they're breathing through their chest mostly, and yep. they're not actually doing a diaphragmatic breathing. Absolutely. So, wow. Yeah. So what about Kegel exercises? Dr. Kegel. <laughs> in the 40s, he's an OBGYN, yep. came up with that contraction, that one contraction, you know, exercise. Like, yeah, squeeze your muscle. By the way, I'm not pregnant and 
I'd have done this, you know. So tell – and I know that you're cringing right now. So again, <laughs> no, tell they, us – No, there's nothing you know. wrong with Kegel exercise, but most women don't even know how to do it. And yeah. it's not only about the pelvic floor muscles. So that's the thing. We have to look beyond the pelvic floor muscles because if a woman has, let's say, incontinence, she's leaking on herself, telling her to squeeze several times a day while she on stop sign or whatever, <laughs> it's not going to – again, we're not treating the root cause here, yeah. you know. And this is just a squeeze of the muscle. There's a whole core, like uh, pressure management. We have to work on the breathing, on the diaphragm. We have to work on the abdominal muscles. We have to work on the hip muscles because the hip affects how the pelvic floor actually is working. And the muscle needs to be able to squeeze and lift and relax and let go. Not only squeeze, not only engaging. So we have to have a full range of motion. It's like a trampoline. Yep. So many women have painful intercourse, let's say, or they have UTI symptoms, so mm -hmm. urinary infection symptoms, right. but symptoms, but their um, test is negative. Their urine test is negative, so they don't have any infection, but they still feel those symptoms. Telling her to do Kegel exercises or to squeeze is going to aggravate the symptoms because imagine a muscle that is already you know, clenched, yeah. you're squeezing it even more. So there's no blood flow. There's no, uh, anyway, every patient is different. Yeah. And uh, Kegel exercises, like even to prepare for delivery. No, we need to learn how to relax and let go. Because yep. the muscles need to get out of the way right. in order to let the baby pass. Right. So how would you tell, you know, someone who is in labor, relax, chill out, don't worry. You prepare you know? for it before. Okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. That's why you do your pelvic floor exercises, your breathing exercises. You mm. teach the partner how to do the counter pressure in order to allow the pelvic bones to move as well during labor. So it depends on where the baby is. Her, the partner can help. Right now I'm preparing, hopefully, for the water birth. Okay. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> yes. Because I believe our bodies are designed to do that. But uh -huh. at the end of the day, I'm five minutes away from a hospital. So again, you plan for it, you prepare for it. You never know what will happen. Maybe Absolutely. my water would break today. <laughs> Right here, podcast. <laughs> oh, not yeah, let's, let's wait a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yes, yeah, so uh, going through that with a partner as well, how can they help you? Because mm -hmm. you're not going to be aware, I mean, aware as much, but you mm -hmm. would have been prepared for it. Right. And um, you would actually open up all of the hip muscles and the pelvic floor and prepare yourself for this. It's like you have to, it's like a marathon. Mm -hmm. Do you just go to a marathon not prepared, not you right. have to take no, like to at least a yeah. few months to prepare for it. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So you really work with the individual, the mom, the dad, the couple, whoever it is, and you're working with them. I mean, you work with people who are also not pregnant, but you are working with them pre-labor, during, and even afterwards. Postpartum. Postpartum. Definitely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And even you have women that you know, have incontinence, like even you have young people. Mm -hmm. I had patients, um, 11 year old, 17 years old that have urinary incontinence. They never had children. They never went through delivery. But why is that? Mm. Because of the pressure management. You know, that research, even uh, studies have shown that women that are in the Olympics, mm -hmm. while they're performing, they are having incontinence. They are leaking on themselves because that's the only muscle they're not working. That's one. And two, the pressure management. Wow is not actually good. So mm -hmm. uh, that could be one of the reasons why they're leaking. But again, anybody can have pelvic floor dysfunction. So not only postpartum. Wow. So 
Next uh, kind of population I want to discuss is children. Yes. And I have three nieces. One has been through the potty training process, which is not easy. Uh, We are about to, I guess, prep the next one for it. So how do you really know when your child is ready to be potty trained? That's a great question. So in general, um, being ready physiologically to potty train is whenever they, so this is our bladder, Mm -hmm. whenever they're able to hold it for two hours at a time. So they're dry for two hours at a time, a dry after a nap, Mm -hmm. you know, and dry every two hours. So check how many times a day am I changing a diaper? That's one. Two, we have to make sure that the child has a predictable bowel movement that is mushy. Because sometimes if a child is constipated, please don't potty train them. Interesting. Don't. <laughs> we have to treat constipation first. Okay. Before we uh, body train. Because, okay, as an adult, if you have painful sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. do you really want to have sexual intercourse no. again? No. no. You're going to squeeze your muscle. You're going to avoid it. And you don't want to do it. Yep. Children that have one bad experience, one bowel movement that is painful, they don't want to do it anymore. So what happens is they're going to squeeze and suppress the urge to poop and that will result with a tantrum, not wanting to sit on the toilet, mm-hmm. not wanting to go through that process. And we don't. We want to get ahead of poop anxiety. That's why we go through the pre-training phase. In general, we have to make sure that the co- they're not constipated. They are able to um, hold their pee in for two hours at a time at least. And um, they have good gross motor skills too. They are interested in the process mm-hmm. and they're not scared of sitting on the toilet. So there's too many prerequisites. Mm-hmm. That's why we go through the pre-training phase. Yep. So there <laughs> so is body a... training starts way before the child is ready. Yep. Way wow. before. Wow. And it really seems as though similar to having a baby. You start before, there's a during, there's an after. I believe in the prevention and awareness. Yeah. Like, why do we have to wait until the child 17 years old, yep. has bedwetting issues and okay, how did you potty train the child? What happened? Right. When did it start? And right. then you figure out that it started during the potty training process. Hmm. So that's why I created the books, and that's why, um, uh, you know, I I talk a lot about it, and I give a lot of workshops, too, for parents, because they don't know, and they cannot know everything, you know? Um, So just to guide them through this process. Yes. So a little bit about these books. So, I mean, I'm a strong supporter of reading to your child, and it seems as though you are as well. Um, I have in front of me the day I learned how to use the potty, an activity book that you created, as well as... Um, how to use the potty and just different books. Tell us a little bit, why did you create these? What was your goal with this? Yeah. Um, So again, because I see many children between Mm -hmm. 6 and 12 and even 17 that have bedwetting issues, poop accidents, Mm -hmm. constipation, daytime accidents that is traced back to inadequate potty training. Mm -hmm. I figured that there's not even a lot of books as well out there that shows how a child should be sitting properly on the toilet. Like you have to have a squatty potty. You have to have... Right. How do you push if you don't have something to push against? Exactly. Like yeah. you have to have your knees above your um, hips, basically, in order to allow for the pelvic floor muscles to relax and let that bowel movement pass without having to strain. Right. So that's one thing, you know? So I created the books. It's called The Day I Learned because we all have that one day when something clicks. Yep. <laughs> uh, we learned something new. The activity book is amazing because it's divided into pre-training and potty training phase. Mm. Uh, there are actually um, illustrations about the bladder, about our bowel movements. So children need to be aware. So there's something that is very important, interoception, Mm -hmm. what we miss. What is that? Why do I need to use the toilet? What is my body telling me? Oh, it's the bladder that is actually 
um, you know, holding urine in yep. and the bladder is nudging me. So my body is telling me that I need to go to the restroom, not an adult, just because I want to please them. I'm going to go sit on that toilet. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how it goes. Teaching children about their body signals, mm-hmm. their bodies. My actually illustrator, she lives here in Miami. She's amazing. She did exactly what I wanted. <laughs> wow. And yeah, so the books came to life. I have to give you um, major props for this because one of the things that I'm looking at here is you talk about motor skills. You are talking about facial expressions and emotions. Um, One of the pages here that I'm looking at talks about the parts of the body. I, first of all, love that from a speech therapist point of view. But one of my biggest compliments is you're getting the child involved. And I think a lot of people don't do that. You think of a parent being like, go to the potty, go to the bathroom. And you're really bringing the child into this whole process. And that's as well. They, I mean, go to the potty on a weekend where they have time off. Yeah. And they get sit on the toilet. So the three-day method, I'm so against it. Interesting. Like, okay. You can do the three-day method if you prepared your child before. Mm. But you cannot tell a child that has been in a diaper for so long yeah. to go sit on that scary toilet yeah. where they're feet don't even, you know, like it's a huge toilet. Yeah. Imagine you're sitting on a bar stool trying to pass a bowel movement. Yeah. You're going to squeeze everything except relax the pelvic floor muscles. Yeah, you absolutely. do that. Yeah. And, you know, the flushing sound. And don't it's forget, scary. you have autistic children. You have children that are hypersensitive. All it takes is one bad experience for them to withhold stool. Yep. And that stool withholding gets into a vicious cycle of constipation and pain mm-hmm. that will lead to pelvic floor dysfunction later on. Uh-huh. So preparing your child, educating them throughout the process, and then taking off the diaper. So basically potty train them without the stress of taking off the diaper. Absolutely. And I think one thing you're doing by taking away this whole three-day process is you're taking away the stress out of it, right? It seems as though, look, this might not be the easiest process for every child. Every child's so different. Um, And there's a lot of emotional factors, which is something I wanted to ask you about. Yes. You know, what are the emotional factors? I know a lot of children are scared to leave their friends and they don't want to be embarrassed or they're anxious about it. You know, is that something you really see with the groups that you work with? Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, even during the party training process, you would prepare the child for all of those emotions. So if there's a sibling, I mean, um, there's a newborn coming or if yeah. um, they're starting a new school or if they're having a new nanny, all of these are too much for a child Mm -hmm. so uh, and even going to school as well like public restrooms like small quick example when you go to a public restroom you have to model the fact that i don't know if i want to sit on that toilet like but you know what i'm safe i'm safe Mm -hmm. i'm okay i'll be okay and you just sit down yeah that's a mantra for your child Mm -hmm. next time he's in a public restroom he will go through that through his head, yeah. you know. So uh, emotionally preparing them through the process, always watching out for constipation during those emotions. Because, again, if they hold the stool and they don't want to let it out, yeah. it's going to get dehydrated. They're eating every day. Yeah. They get into the vicious cycle of constipation. Working around that, making sure that they're having a mushy bowel movement daily. Mm-hmm is important, even during their emotional, you know, whatever is triggering them. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And then what do you think just about just schools? I know a lot of moms come to me and they say, my child is starting school in August and I want them to be potty trained. Or the teacher is upset because they keep having accidents and I'm embarrassed. My child's embarrassed. You know, what do you tell? I don't know if there's a way to talk to the schools or the parents. You know, what do you tell these parents? I usually work with the teachers or with the nurse. If a child is four or five years old and is pooping on himself, Mm. standing up, that's another thing. I see so many constipated kids, basically, that poop standing up. 
because they want to control how much is going out. Interesting. You know? They're not squatting. We need to squat to pass a bowel movement. Yeah. When you see a child standing up to pass a bowel movement, and usually I have so many patients that tell me, oh, my child is not constipated. He poops three times a day. Mm. Well, that's because he's not fully evacuating at once. Right. So, right. Yes. That's too much. Yeah. That could mm-hmm. be because he's constipated too. Yeah. So he's standing up to pass a bowel movement. Of course, Imagine you're standing up to pass a one movement. Yeah. Nothing's going to go out. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit. So yeah, in school, if we have children that are having daytime accidents, pooping while standing up, poop accidents, not making it to the restroom, we have to figure out what the root cause is. Mm-hmm. What is it? When did it start? How can we break it? And we work with the teachers. So they need to take extra care of them if they can. I know they have so many other children in the in the classroom. So that could be, you know. Yeah, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. But yeah, we have to work around that. Everybody be on board, the parents, the teachers, and the child in order to help this child. Because, yes, some kids have FOMO, fear Mm -hmm. of missing out. They don't want to go to the restroom. If you prepare your child and work on the interoception and teach them how to listen to their body signal and stop what they're doing to go to make it to the restroom, because their body told them to do so, not the teacher. This is when we prevent all of these issues in school, too. So that brings up an interesting point. I work with a lot of different kids. We go into their homes one or two days a week. Um, I'm with them for 30 to 60 minutes. And the moms say to me, we're potty training, or I think he has to go to the bathroom and he hasn't yet. Ask him every 10 seconds. Ask him every 30 seconds. Is that a no? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Tell you why. The bladder should be able to hold urine for two hours at a time. Got it. Why do we want to empty it every 10 seconds? Every half an hour. Yeah. Going just in case, this is whether for children or adults, is a very bad habit Mm. because your bladder is made out of a muscle called the detrusor, right? And what happens is, actually, if you open, you can see how the bladder fills up. It's so cool. I love, that's maybe my favorite activity in the activity book. Um, Which page am I looking for? Pre-training, okay. Yes, yes. See, they need to drink water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're showing them the water. Yeah, I I would love to show this to everyone as I'm doing this. We'll do a little video afterwards. Yes. Um, You'll tell me when to stop. Yeah, I just go, it's close. See the bladder? Yep. It fills up and it nudges you. So basically, you will feel the urge to pee Mm -hmm. whenever it's like quarter, like it's filled here. Mm But you can hold it, right? And then it fills up, it fills up, it fills up until you have the urge, you have to go. That should be every two hours for children, hour and a half, and for adults, every three hours. So if you go pee before you leave the house, or if you tell a child go pee just because I told you so, although (laughs) half an hour ago he just emptied it, what happens is he gets used to emptying before the bladder is actually full and before the bladder actually sent him a signal that I need to pee. So for a long term, that child will have to use the restroom every half an hour because he got into that habit. On the other hand, you have some kids that don't pee at all. Like it takes five hours, six hours for them to go empty their bladder. And that will make the bladder even more enlarged. That's another problem. Like even I have adults that have a very enlarged bladder Mm -hmm. that they need to use a catheter right now because it's the muscles are so overstretched. They're not even squeezing to send a signal to the brain that, hey, I need to pee. So they don't even feel the urge to pee at some point, right. at this point. Right. So um, again, teaching children about how to listen to the bladder. Yeah. Even there's a picture of the bladder being too filled up, mm-hmm. like it's going gonna, it's gonna to break, yeah. you know. And, like a balloon. And, uh, which takes me to a very important point. Whenever a child has an accident, please blame it on the bladder, 
and not on the child. That will take shame away from them. Wow. And that will give them more, um, uh, you know, they, they take ownership. Like, this is my bladder. Mm-hmm. I need to take care of it. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to listen to it next time, you know. I had a patient actually, like, the next day, <laughs> she called me the next day. She said, my daughter went through this activity, and she usually never stops what she's doing to go pee. So when she did the activity of the bladder, they were working together the next day. And mom was like, you want to go to the restroom? I can see. I can tell you want to go, but finish that and then go. She said, no, I don't want my bladder to look like this. Wow. So she's putting a visual, another speech therapy tip, put a visual with everything you're saying. Yep. With a verbalization. So she saw how the bladder would be like, not not really happy. So she wanted to go and empty her bladder. So and stop what she's doing. In a selfish way, I, every time I get in the car, I run to the bathroom just in case I have to pee. Or I am really nervous I won't make it through a two-hour drive. So basically, you're telling me not to do that. And you can retrain your bladder in order to hold it. So right now, what you can do is just check, okay, how often am I actually using that, mm-hmm. that rest, the right. restroom, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. You're sipping water throughout the day. You're not gulping it. Yeah. Because when we gulp water, you, have to, you will feel the, the urge to go pee. Yeah. But if you sip it, you will get even more hydrated and you will not have the urge to be as much. Yeah. Um, and you train your body. Absolutely. I know when I first started drinking this Stanley um, cup, I would race to the bathroom because I had to pee 20 every 20 seconds. But now as I go slower, I notice that it really, I can get through three podcasts before I have to do that. There you go. Yay. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Great. So what do you, um, one of actually our Tata moms wrote in about this. How do you feel about potty training regression? Why does it happen? The regression mostly happens because of one bad experience, right? Mm. Passing a bowel movement that is very hard to pass, they don't want to pass it at all. It's painful. They don't want to do it. They would squeeze it in, goes through a tantrum. They don't want to sit on the toilet. They're avoiding the restroom. They want to poop in their diaper when they're sleeping, um, during a nap, because this is when they feel safe and when they feel relaxed. That's one thing I tell the parents all the time. I don't care where, how when your child poops as long as they poop. Yep. I want that bowel movement to pass and get out of their bodies because if it stays in, it's going to get even harder and it's going to be even more painful. Yep. So I don't care what they do. <laughs> let let it out and then we treat it right away, but let, let them poop whatever they want and whenever they want, yeah. for sure. And uh, daytime accidents or bedwetting, if, if that's what you mean by regression, mm-hmm. again, it could be a physiological problem too, not emotional. That could lead to emotional for sure because the self-esteem of that child is not the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even like I have patients that tell me, my God, I didn't even notice that I have a happy child. Like imagine you're constipated for like a week, two weeks, yeah. you're bloated. Miserable. You're going to be irritated, right? Yeah. You're going to hate everybody. Yeah. Imagine that little kid, though, that have a distended belly, constipated, and uh, having bedwetting issues and being bullied or, you know. I mean, I even had patients, th- the parents really thought that that child, especially after going through doctors, well, he's doing it on purpose just because he wants attention. No, there yeah. was a physiological problem. So after going through a KUB x-ray and all of that, we figured that there is a physiological problem that yeah. needs to be addressed. And once we addressed it, that's it, done. I yeah. mean, there's no more problem anymore. So... Regression mostly is because of that one bad experience, because of any physiological problem that could happen with a child, and that could be prevented if there's more awareness and if there's more education around that too. Absolutely. And how do you feel just from a speech perspective if there's a child who maybe 
can't tell you that they have to go to the bathroom. Are they just too young to um, be potty trained? You know, they might want to sit on the toilet because their older sibling's sitting on the toilet. But what if they can't actually communicate it to you? So, you know, you have sign languages. Yep. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. And two, uh, I mean, communication is not major, honestly, because you can see it when a child wants to go use the restroom. They yeah. do that pee dance or they hold their bottom if they want to poop. So um, you can communicate in different ways. But in general, I am almost against. I am with elimination communication. Yes, you can do it. Mm -hmm. But actually putting a child at 11 months old, that is 11 months old on a toilet to start party training that early it's a waste of time almost mm. because the neuromuscular connection is not there. The bladder is not fully developed. Um, Interesting. Wh why do you want to start that early? Right. You know, actually the American Pediatric uh, Association, uh, they recommend not starting before at least 18 months old because this is when neuromuscular connection starts. There are some research that suggests not even starting before two years old. Why? To prevent constipation. To prevent constipation because we want the child to be mature enough and aware enough and has good interoception because they are listening to their body signals mm -hmm. um, and they're not constipated. Mm -hmm. So that's how we help the child. We take we take off the diaper almost at two years, but mm -hmm. again, that varies from child to another, uh, depending on their developmental milestones, their gross motor skills, all of that. Uh, we can pre-train the child as early as 15 months. Pre-training even starts when the child is crawling. Wow. That's a great exercise because we need good core activation. Yeah. Although wow. the CDC took it away. It's not I, a milestone yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, the CDC changed a lot of our milestones as well. I don't know why. Like know. crawling is one of the most important milestones. That's the first thing I ask my patients. Did you crawl? Did your child crawl? Yeah. Or they skip the crawling phase? Yeah. Because if they did, you you need good core activation in order to pass a bowel movement. Yeah. And being right. on hands and knees is the, but it's never too early to introduce the exercises. So it's yeah. fine. Think never of Pilates, late. right? You're in Pilates in like a plank or like you're on your hands and knees and moving your legs and arms and yeah, yeah. you're strengthening your core. Yeah. So obviously every child is different. Yes. Um, if you, you know, in your opinion, so you're starting the pre-training with your books. If you had to, okay, with your future child, um, the perf, let's say the perfect quote unquote age, is it pre, like, is it two? Is it three? Is it going to school? What for you would just be like your um, qualification for Okay. So the training? problem with schools is that they put so much pressure on parents. Yes. Like I have so many, I had, I had patients in uh, Paris actually. They start school, I guess was in October, in August. Mm -hmm. uh, the child and they're like we have one month we need to party train that child and he's like he doesn't even want to poop on the toilet and he's having constipation and bedwetting and all of that I'm like whoa 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 it's a lot yeah but I feel for those parents like yeah. I'm against schools forcing children to be potty trained before they go in and they do a but lot of schools get, do they, that's discrimination against yeah. some children that or have developmental delays mm -hmm. or they have physiological issues. Absolutely. So that's this is when I like send a letter to the school, tell them, hey, we're working on it. He has a physiological problem. Like, please take this into consideration. Actually, we need your help mm -hmm. in order to help that child. That's too much pressure on the parents. Yeah. So um, for me, the best age to start, like you can start modeling. You can make sure that they have good gross motor skills. They're eating healthy food, like even picky eaters as well. Like I, I send a lot of my patients to, you know, nutritionists and yeah. um, experts in how to start solids, mm -hmm. how to start because constipation can start early on. Yeah, when you stop breastfeeding and you introduce formula, when you introduce cow's milk, the prime time to get potty uh, to get uh, constipated is during potty training too. Mm. Yeah. But constipation can start early on, and gastrointestinal problems can start early on. Yeah. So preventing that, if I have a child, 
definitely I would make sure that my child is having a mushy bowel movement daily, mm -hmm. not straining to pass a bowel movement, not having a lot of gas. So working on that, preventing it. Elimination communication, uh, make sure that they go through the milestones so they have good core activation, even moving from side to side as a baby, right? Yep. Rolling from side to side, that's a good core activation. Yep. They have to go through the gross motor skills yep. and then teaching them how to pull up and down the pants and mm -hmm. All of them. You don't want them to have an accident just because they don't know how to pull down the pants. Right. So there, it's really not an age thing. It's more of just the different qualifications, whether it's fine exactly. motor, emotional, exactly. sensory. But yeah. I would always plan it around my child. So this is mm. your child's process, not yours. It's not because I have a weekend off that I am potty training my child this weekend. Yeah. No. Spring break. That's why you go through the pre-training phase first yeah. and um, you help them. And when they start feeling, okay, I'm what? I know the difference between wet versus being dry. Right. I am interested in using the restroom. Oh, this is how mommy used it. Mm -hmm. Modeling, going through all of this process. Yeah. Then you know your child is ready. Yeah. It really is so similar to my field. And I know it just doesn't seem like it, but modeling and just really, you know, just sensory issues and so many other things. Interoception. Really... I mean, there's a lot of prerequisites. That's why in three-day method... All of my patients that have bad bending issues read the books of the one day and three day methods. Yeah. <laughs> Serious. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what potty training method did you use? <laughs> it's always that one. Absolutely. That's what, seriously, that's why I created it. Genuinely, I, I'm like, I'm doing these books maybe only for my patients. I don't care. Yeah, don't, yeah. But, but it's incredible. So, before I talk about these books, because I want to learn a little bit about them, where, so you work also via Zoom or yes. Skyping with people. Okay. So, you really can meet with anybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I do a lot of online consultations, mostly online consultations, because I teach parents how to, they're with their kids all day long, mm -hmm. all the time, right? Or caregivers. Yeah. But we need to figure out if they have like issues, if they have bedwetting, constipation, all of that. Okay, great. Get me the uh, KUB x-ray. Um, let's talk more about that. I want to learn more about the past medical history, their party training history. Right. Once we figure out what the root cause is and we have an official diagnosis, I tell them exactly what they need to do at home in order to help their child go through the process. And honestly, we don't need more than two sessions or three. Yeah. And they're done. Wow. Because once you figure out what the root cause is and they are committed and consistent with what I tell them to do, they're done. They're right. good. And uh, for potty training or even, you know, pregnant moms and all of that, I teach them what to do. Because mm -hmm. even in my clinic, like when I, if I want to see a patient in the clinic, I would see them every other week for a few times. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I want the patient to be independent from me, not dependent on me. We don't use biofeedback machine. I don't use... No. Figure out the root cause, teach them about their bodies, why this is happening, mm -hmm. treat it, give them the right exercises to do, and you're done. Yeah. So Absolutely. Again, just like speech therapy. Yes. You're not trying to get them to rely on you. I'm trying to give you the tips and skills that the caregiver or the client needs, and then I leave. And you know, it's up to them to really learn mm -hmm. this, and then we're there as support. Yes. Um, so we talked about the activity book. Tell us a little bit about the other book that you have created as well. So they're like the storybook goes hand in hand with the activity okay. book. It's just a story. We have Leah and Alex, my husband. And <laughs> you and your I. husband. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how do you feel about being like a major character in a Pierre Poo book? <laughs> he Malala. loved I'm it. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, the storybook uh, just talks about the steps of going to the restroom mm -hmm. and um, pulling up and down the pants. 
blowing through a straw. There's no iPad when they sit on the toilet. Wow. <laughs> yep. And I love that. And blowing through a straw to relax the pelvic floor muscles in a squatting yeah. position. Yeah. That's and a trick. By the way, I will actually say, other than seeing these two books, the only time I ever really saw a child learn about potty training was Daniel Tiger. I think the TV show. That yeah. was really the only time. I've never really seen a book yeah. um, that's for the child, not for the parent. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's great. And Daniel Tiger has a great song too, If You Want to Go Party. Yes, I love that. Yeah. I think I loved it more than my nieces ever did. But uh, but see, like sitting properly on the toilet, yep. um, um, I sing or blow through a straw. I don't use an iPad. I don't distract my brain. Mm, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, and it just show them the steps, basically. And in the activity book, we have flashcards as well. So the same steps that they went through here. There in the activity book, we have 16 yoga flashcards in the activity book as well, because again, we need good hip mobility. We need good core activation. Yeah. Um, you have achievement charts the on achievement here. achievement chart and the stickers. I want to talk about yes, that. Yes. Tell me about it. So as a speech therapist, we love positive reinforcement. Yes, but I am almost against like giving a child. So basically the stickers, if you see them, they're like water stickers, vegetable, fruits, oh. pee and poop. Why? This is because a child needs to understand what went in and out of my body. It's not mm. a, a reward, more of it. As, so it's not positive reinforcement. I mean, it, 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 in you, a way, you can indirectly. do a positive reinforcement. I don't want, during body training, you know, I had a patient that, um, um, yeah, the achievement chart is perforated. You take it off and you put it on the I wall. I love this so much. And you put the stickers on it. But yep. um, I had a patient that, um, that actually his parents would like make a huge party whenever he poops yeah. on the toilet. And one day he hated his mom for some reason, like he had a tantrum and he knew that pooping on the toilet would make her happy. <laughs> he doesn't want to go poop on the toilet. Smart kid. Wow. Smart. <laughs> so that's why that too much reinforcement can yeah. backfire. Yep. So it depends on the child. Absolutely. So the stickers here are more about when we teach children, okay, where does the pee come from? Where does the poo come from? And, um, and, Mommy poops, daddy poops, yep. we pass bowel movement too. They take the sticker and they put it on that chart just for them to understand what went in and out of their body. Mm -hmm. Again, it's for them to understand how the body works. Yep. Um, and for those who can't see, we have water stickers, apple, broccoli, fiber, I'm assuming. We have to okay. have fiber intake so that they're not constipated. Love that. I love that. You're really, look, you're making the child feel like they're a person, which yes. they are, but you're making them feel like an adult. Yes. Um, and where can our listeners find you? Because I have learned a lot. I will be running to all of my moms and telling them just the tips and tricks you taught us. But yeah. where can we learn more? On the website, uh, learnwithdrlea.com. Okay. And Instagram? And Instagram, Lea Ferrali. Okay. L-E-A? Yes. L-E-A Ferrali. Um, uh, F-E-G-H-A-L-I. Sorry, I'm a speech therapist. Yes. I have to spell that out for everyone. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Okay. And, and then... That's where they can find me. Online consultation. They book it online. Perfect. I do in-person consultation here in Miami and uh, in Beirut when I go to Lebanon as well. And I do a lot of online consultations overseas here in Texas. Wow. Okay. So Because <laughs> I was can... in Dallas. I was working with the clinics. Now I take all of their online consultations as well. Genesis PT. Oh, wow. So okay. uh, now that I moved to Miami, it's been two years. Yeah. Welcome. Um, you. So you don't have to be in Miami to um, work with you and no. people can work with you over the phone, Skype, Zoom, everything you want to, you know, Online. all the virtual. Perfect. Yeah, all Thank virtual. you so much. I am so excited for everyone to listen to Thank this podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.